Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really incredible founder, you know, a founder that he was a professional soccer player. I mean, a football player, as you would call it, in Europe, right, where I'm from. But obviously in the U.S., we have a different terminology. But we're going to be talking about, you know, all the good stuff that we like to hear, you know, when it comes to, you know, building, scaling, financing companies. Uh, he's been with his partner for over 11 years, you know, how this all came together. Uh, also about raising money. They have raised quite a bit of money for their company. And they're doing really amazing with uh, tons of companies that they have acquired with a lot of employees. Uh, and uh, they have uh, raised over $340 million in debt and in equities. And there's tons of stories around this too that we're going to be touching on. So again, very inspiring conversation ahead of us. And without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Sebastian Carlson, welcome to the show. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. What, what an intro. <laughs> hard, hard to follow up that. Thank you. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life being born and raised in Sweden? I think uh, it's dark and cold, as everyone uh, probably know. Uh, it's quite quite uh, a generic picture, but it's but it's true. But uh, no, I, I will say Sweden is a really good, uh, good uh, country to grow up in. Um, I'm not sure if everyone knows, but we actually have... Uh, we are quite socialistic country, but we have some benefits. We, for example, every every citizen had the opportunity when I was small to to get a computer really early, and also we had broadband uh, quite soon. So I think that's why we have been good at um, actually creating company. I think I think Stockholm, when when you compare it to to rest of the world, I think uh, in if you just look at the unicorn per capita, I think we're second behind uh, uh, Palo Alto and San Francisco. So. So I think the the fundamental was there uh, from the beginning. Uh, so <laughs> I cannot complain anything at all. So how was it like also for you at a at a personal level? You know, growing up in a household with a single mom. You know, I'm sure that that was quite inspiring for you as well. No, but I, I've always seen like I've seen seen my mom working uh, double shift and and just uh, putting everything uh, out there to to give uh, the kids the opportunity to to do something well. So I think always I've been. Um, I've been feeling like I'm I'm quite lucky to have someone who's uh, who's putting their life uh, sacrificing their life for for me to get opportunities. Also, I have uh, I felt some sort of uh, obligation to to do something well with uh, with whatever I've done. I, I made a promise to my mom when I was when I was uh, when I was younger to take care of her when, when she she retired, and I was fortunate enough to uh, to be successful in in some levels, so so I could could acquire a house to to her here in Stockholm. So so I'm proud of that, and I'm also proud of my mom for 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 giving me the opportunity uh, to pay her back. That's amazing. Now, in your case, you became a professional footballer. So how, <laughs> how did the whole idea of kicking the ball and, and getting into it, you know, how did that come about and, and making it to become a professional? I mean, that's uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, but I think, I think it's like uh, all, every kid, uh, if we get some, uh, some uh, positive affirmation when we're doing something, uh, then, then we continue to do that. And it, it was the same for me. Like I, I I was uh, quite early on gifted enough to to be able to to play a little bit better than than, than my friends. So um, so then of course I I tried to to take this as 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 uh, as long as I could, and I and I had and I'd be blessed to to be able to 
have it uh, as a living since I was uh, between 18 and I think 27. So, so I'm, I'm grateful for that period. And it was a fun time and also good learnings. You know, you know, you know that it's not that fun to, to practice in, especially in Sweden between January and uh, April, because we have a different season here. And then you go into, to the fun part between, between April and, and uh, later stage of October. But, but, uh, but the boring part during the winter that I think, um, gave me the brain power and, and grit uh, that I also can translate it into to, to my next career, which is um, <laughs> creating ventures. So what about, what about you know, the, the whole uh, soccer career that you did, soccer football yeah. career that you did? You did it from 18 to 27. As you were saying, yeah. you, know, you got the grit. I'm sure the competitiveness, the, the wanting you know, to, to get stuff done, you know, dealing with uh, whatever adversity you had in, in front of you. How do you think that that has shaped you up to really become the entrepreneur that you are today. No, but I think you, you, you need to learn how to, to also uh, build relationship with, uh, with 22 or sometimes up to 30 uh, other guys. And every, every often guys who is, um, is good at sports is also quite, I would say, alpha. If you, if you are, if you are uh, looking at uh, some sort of persona, so I think it, it's quite a, it's quite a tough and challenging environment to be in a, in a locker room, and I, I think you you learn to handle pressure because uh, if you're playing on on TV, for example, or if you have a big uh, crowd, of course you get a little bit nervous and you need to to be able to handle that. And I and I think it's the same there. You need you know and learn how to how to build relationship. You learn also when you need to stick up for yourself. Uh, and like I said, the the thing before about pressure, and I, I think. I think uh, pressure doesn't affect me that much. Of course, everyone gets affected by pressure, but I think I can, I can, uh, I can learn to switch it off and on uh, when I need to. And I think, like I said, those learnings I've, I've, I've transferred into, into uh, when I'm working with uh, my business. So let's say that's a very important point, pressure, because obviously as founders, and there's tons of founders that are probably listening right now that are wondering about pressure, you know, pressure of running out of money, pressure of, needing to hire people, pressure of meeting deadlines, being able to deliver to a customer. So let's, let's put that pressure now in, into the game. Let's say you are now in a soccer field. You know, the score is equal. And all of a sudden, the last minute, you know, there's a penalty. <laughs> there's a yeah. penalty that the referee, you know, has called. And you just put it there. You are going to be taking it. You tell your, your teammates that this is yours, that you're going to make this one. And let's say you're right there. It's just you and the goalkeeper in front of you, the whole stadium looking at you. Everyone is looking at you. Obviously, the pressure is on. How are you able to remove those voices to, to get out of your own head, to be able to be in the game and to just, just be in action? Uh, I was a goalkeeper, but even then I could, I could take a penalty. But, uh, and I, I have done that uh, in the past. But, but I, I don't think, I don't think, I think it's like, Everything else, you don't start with uh, your first venture and and you raise uh, what I know three billion dollar the 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 first uh, seed round and something like that. And it's the same with uh, with football. You learn how to compete in front of fifty people, five hundred people, five thousand people uh, on television. So you learn and, and you you gradually uh, get exposed to more and more pressure. And then, but I, but I've also seen and I don't know what what that's coming from. Because I don't say that it's the best players actually playing in in Premier League or, or the highest league all over Europe or in your home country in Spain. I think the, it's the one who has the best decision making 
and like you said, can handle pressure. I don't think, I'm not sure if that's something just uh, built in to 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 some sort of characteristic. Yeah? Uh, and I can't really answer the question regarding regarding pressure, but I've always been comfortable uh, around pressure. Um, but of course, of course, you always have some sort of ache in your in, in your chest or stomach, uh, both for taking this penalty as you as you uh mentally described but 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 also when you when you're having uh, pressure towards for example stakeholders when when you build a company so so obviously you know you can't be playing soccer forever so 27 you know years old that's the time where you decide to uh hang the boots so your next uh, chapter was ultimately starting your own thing and it was a sales company so what were the sequence of events to you Thinking, hey, I want to start something on my own rather than you know going and working from some for someone else. No, but I think I had my my soul searching period, and I I, I saw that some of my um, my teammates they went over like I said playing in Premier League, and the wages they have in Premier League compared to the Swedish league is uh, the, the discrepancy is uh, ridiculous. So so I was thinking to myself, I can do this football thing since I just until I become 35 and maybe 40, but I will not, I will just uh, put uh, my career and my life on hold. So I was just soul searching for, I think at least uh, two years and, and bu- building up my plan. What am I going to do? And then oh, again, I'm fortunate enough to meet, meet people who had uh, much uh, higher competence and experience than I had. Uh, so I actually co-founded this sales company and we did, um, both uh, customer support, B2B and B2B, uh, B2C sales. Uh, we did sales as a service to, to other customers. But I will say in the beginning when I, when I started this, I was just the one p- uh, piggybacking on, on the other two. So they were, they were the stars and running the show. But still, uh, I under- understood quite early that you need to be around people that is much better than you. And I think that's also, I would say, an advice. If you, if you, for too long of a period are, are, are absolutely the best in the room, then you should change the room. And, and I, think, I think I've always been able to surround myself with, with people that is always challenging me and people who has uh, competences and, and, um, and, um, and, and different, they have just been better uh, at different things than, than I have been. So, so I'm, I've been fortunate enough to be around a lot of good people, but I've been skillful enough to be able to see if I'm, if I'm the best in the room, change room. So obviously you had to change room, you know, eventually, and that <laughs> meant going to Stockholm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, essentially what happened is that uh, you went there to work for PwC. Yep. But as they say, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So you got the... Uh, the venture, you know, in you. And uh, that's what got you, you know, perhaps switching from corporate again to venture. So so walk, walk us through those transition and sequences of events that needed to happen there. No, but I think, uh, I think when, I, when I grew up, I, I thought that uh, going to PwC uh, was, uh, was like, okay, now I made it. Uh, but like you said, I was there for like <laughs> maybe six months and then I was starting to like, oh, I want to be on the other side. I want to be on the other side. I don't want to work with, uh, with this, this part. I want to be on the other side. So, so I again was lucky enough to uh, to run into uh, a guy called Said Esmelsade. It was one of the I would say best serial entrepreneur the last twenty years here in the Nordics. He was a chemist. He invented the world's hardest glass. Uh, I met I met with him because they were acquiring a company from PwC as an advisor, and um, I just had a lunch with uh, with those guys and. 
after a lunch and also cooperating because I sent a lot of uh, deals to them. Uh, then we then we actually had a lunch where we were talking about shouldn't you do it and uh, work with us and and uh, after after a couple of of hours read beers <laughs> I was uh, I, I signed for 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 them and I've never regretted it and and again uh, when I when I came from PwSU a lot of competent people but when I came to that side and and met with uh, with all of those entrepreneurs it was another level so like I said I I felt the worst i was definitely the um, <laughs> the the worst in the room and then i thought okay let's uh, let's go through with this uh, and just extract everything that i can from from uh, these guys so then how how did you get back into the into the venture wagon you know how how did you make that jump no we actually so so we had some uh, different ventures so what we did in the beginning we was actually a private incubator so in sweden you have something called ladder and target which means if you do research you own the ip that you do research about so side invented the world of solid glass so we actually uh, own the ip so that's is like i said claim to fame and he been able to uh, commercialize that so so we did that we took a lot of uh, ip from from academia uh, and tried to commercialize it not everything went well but some of them did But then we also started to build um, a venture looking into sauce uh, products. Uh, so we had like a portfolio of, of I would say, IP that wasn't, it, it didn't have a clear go-to-market strategy. It didn't really have the first paying customer. And, um, and uh, I met with um, the, the, the co-founder and I would say the engineer and the brain behind the, the software. And, and um, that was also inside this group uh, that I'm talking about before. So. Me and him teamed up. Uh, we took it uh, to all of the Nordic countries in, in three years. We got uh, VC backing. Uh, it's still VC backed. It's called Envice today. It's a project-based CRM for, for the real estate and, and also an air and handling system for, for real estate uh, industry. Uh, and I would say that was my a little bit claim to fame, even if it was, uh, it was not uh, anything near what I'm, what I'm doing today. But, but after five years as CEO, Uh, I did a succession, and then then I teamed up for real with uh, with my co-founder that I work with today. Um, but he has always been a peripheral back me in in my other other ventures. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I gotta tell you that you know for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, Or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. 
And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. So, yeah, so you did a few ventures. Uh, obviously, it was the same investors, you know, same co-founder. I want to talk about, because there, you know, with your co-founder, you've had, you know, quite a successful partnership. And I want to talk about that time where the two of you guys were in a restaurant and uh, it was time to, uh, you know, try to put some ink, you know, to paper, you know, and to make it official that you guys were co-founders. So w what happened? What happened there? No, but like like I said, my co-founder, I love him to death now. But uh, but he is really vague. He's always saying, "Yeah, but let's start. Let, let's do it. That's perfect." Are you are you joining? I was when I was starting, and I was like, "Side, please, please, can we put something into an agreement?" And I said, "Why don't you trust me? Of course, I trust you, but like, I, I'm if I'm going to put all my energy, all my all all my money into this this venture, then we need to sign something." And then he just uh, took a napkin, and and I have this. So this is not. This is not like a, a found, founding story uh, like Neumann did about the kibbutz or anything like that. This is actually true. I have it still on, uh, uh, in, in my home. But, but we took this napkin and we put down everything. And he had, he had three KPIs. In five years, we're going to acquire 50 companies and do 500 million uh, Swedish krona in EBITDA. That's around 50 million euro in, in, uh, in, in another currency. So that was the thing that uh, he put down on the napkin. My name, his name, and then we signed it. So I think I think that's a good story. And I'm, like I said, I'm keeping that napkin. That's incredible. Now, for the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the, uh, you know, model, you know, of 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 Libya Group? What are you guys doing? So, we I will say that we uh, we allocate capital. That is what we do. Uh, but to be able to allocate capital, then you need to have vehicles to allocate capital through. So. Uh, when we when we build our start our venture, we often, of course, looking for uh, to put in our own money into that, but also to add uh, additional uh, depth so we have some firepower. And and then we try to build a portfolio of uh, of companies. Uh, so we acquire companies, and Livia is focused on, I would say, business critical software and service provider towards business critical software. So we see business critical software as um, ERP, CRM, uh, BI cybersecurity, and of course, I would say niche software that is connected or entangled to ERP or CRM. So that is where, where we are <clears throat> focusing when we acquire a company. Uh, but now when we have acquired 42 companies uh, all over Europe, I also say that if we have the possibility to grow organically, if the, if the total addressable market is there, if you see that the KPIs for, for organic growth, uh, customer acquisition cost, the lifetime value, lead to deal in percentage and days, if you, if you know all of this, then you can actually do a, a calculation for, for allocating capital organically much better than, than to acquire a new, new, new vehicle. And also, I think the, the biggest risk is, is actually not sometimes the numbers. It's more about uh, people. So every time you, you acquire one new company, you also get exposed to to one more person, and, and I think um, the biggest um, the biggest risk is actually uh, person and relationship. Because especially if you've been running your your company, you're the founder, and then all of a sudden I acquire 100% of you, and we're going to work together uh, because you have an earnout or or an equity component in Livia. Then of course to go from being the star and this is this is my baby. To actually be able to, yo, okay, you need to listen to to my rules as well. 
that could be a shift for someone. So not, I don't think everyone is um, uh, made to work in an environment when they're not 100% owning the company. I think I would actually have problems just being an employee uh, today. So I understand them 100%. Uh, so and, and- I, I think that's the biggest challenge. And I guess, you know, for, for a structure like this, I mean, where you guys have like 42 companies, you yeah. know, incredible amount of employees too. How do you go about making sure that, let's say, each and every single one of those acquisitions is successful, you know, when it comes to the integration, which is the toughest part? And also, how do you go about making sure that you guys are able to, to keep everything flowing nicely amongst all these different companies that you're putting under that same umbrella? But we have we have a rule. So for every eight company, we have one growth director, and growth director is the one responsible for that portfolio. So uh, when you just look it down, like eight companies per growth director, it has, it isn't that many. Um, we're also quite decentralized. So I will say the growth director's uh, main objective is to see do we have the right CEOs, and so the CEO is the one who's calling all the shots. So we 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 put a lot of um, trust into the CEOs and the entrepreneur that we acquire. And we want to work with the entrepreneurs that we acquire. So often, often they, 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 um, they transfer part of their enterprise value when we acquire them into, into Livia shares, for example. Um, and then I focus mostly on the negative outliers. So uh, <laughs> that, that, that sounds boring, but it, I would say at every given time, it's always like 5 to 8% uh, of the company that has some problems. They're doing a succession. Maybe they are churning right now. We need to put some energy into that. So I focus mostly on the, on the negative outliers. And, and then I work tight with the responsible growth director for those. But uh, I don't really focus on, on, on the good ones so, because they, they are they're doing themselves. So our strategy is to be decentralized. The CEOs is calling the shots. The growth director look through that we have the right CEO in place. And then, of course, what we as an owner decide is about all the over-liquidity that the companies uh, create, how we're going to use that. Am I using that from HQ to acquire a company, for example, in Spain? Or are the company itself, do they have the KPI so I can see that the return for my shareholders is much, much better if we keep it in the, in the company itself? So, so that, is, that is what we uh, more as a strategic partner do. And then, of course, we're working with Exercise like, um, do they have uh, enough of a total addressable market? That is something that could be a, an issue sometimes if they are too niche of a software, for example. Uh, so then we need to do some uh, product roadmap and leap of faith into new verticals or, or new regions. Uh, and also we try to be as close as a strategic partner to, to all of our customers. So um, we try to always somehow invent or, or get insights so that uh, we can talk to C-levels or actually also be included in, in the board. Uh, so, so we work with uh, different matrix, Unsoft matrix, Kralish matrix, and also the KPIs for growth, as I talked about before. And if we do them uh, over a long period of time, then we know that we're going to, to succeed. And, so, and that's also important. Sorry if I'm just... Uh, shattering on here, but, but it is important sometimes also to uh, zoom out a little bit. You cannot always just look at this quarter, this quarter, this quarter. You need to see, okay, where were they at 2020? Where are they now? And sometimes you need to have uh, a dip uh, in the curve because, for example, you need some, sometimes to, to hire a sales uh, guy to, to go to, the, to a new region or, or something like that. So, so yeah, long, long answer, but that's, that's how, we, how we work with the company. 
And then about capitalizing, you know, the operation. I think that you guys have raised about 340 million euros, you know, yep. between debt and equity. So yep. how has been to the journey of raising the 340 million and how do you think about that balance between debt and equity for something like this? Yeah, but uh, I think uh, we always have a leverage between um, in in now when we when we're not in a in a public environment, uh, we work with between two and a half and three and a half. Um, but when we will go public, which we're planning to do in in um, later stage uh, or mid stage of 2025, then we will have a, a lower leverage. Um, I think also you need to sometimes realize that you've been quite lucky. We we were raising the first bond of 80 million euro uh, in uh, 2021, good times. Um, and and then we had really good numbers, organic growth as well. So we've been able to, to raise additional uh, firepower. And then I need to also give a shout out to uh, the bank syndicate that we work with today. We work with um, a bank called DB in the Nordics and also Danske Bank. And then be really supportive of our journey. Uh, they understand us uh, fully. And also we build a relationship for, for almost one and a half year before we actually signed the facility, facility agreement. And that facility, facility agreement was signed in uh, during the summer in 2023, uh, which was quite a tough time uh, as well. But, uh, but they put a lot of faith in us. And then again, you see that <laughs> you need to be lucky enough and also expose yourself towards um, this type of opportunities. But sometimes also timing needs to be there. And I think we have timed quite, quite good time slots for, for, for raising uh, the capital. So when you raise capital, obviously it's raised on a vision, right? And that's the way that you're also enrolling employees, getting transactions done is because there is a vision that everyone is going towards. So if you were to go to sleep tonight, Sebastian, and you wake <laughs> up in a world where the vision of the group is fully realized, what does, what does that world look like? No, but I think, I think uh, in, the, in the first phase, as I will say that we are a distributor of software, business critical software all over Europe. Um, everyone sees us as the vehicle. So if uh, every big uh, sauce company in, in the US or India want to actually penetrate the European market, you will turn to us. Uh, and also the ones who, who has their own software, they turn to us, okay, acquire us because we know that you can get um, uh, spread and distribution all over Europe. So I think, I think that is uh, my, uh, my aim. And also a little bit more closer on, after we, uh, uh, <laughs> if we just tie it to, to the business plan, when we have deployed the money from, from a future IPO, I, or we also have a self-financed uh, M&A agenda from, from there on. We don't need to raise any more capital. We can just work with our own cash flow and decide quite much ourselves uh, what will be the leverage. Um, <laughs> is, is, the, is the interest high? Okay, then we need to lower the leverage. Is, it, is the interest low? And of course, like, then we can raise the leverage. So I think to be able to actually control every single thing uh, of Livia and also be the the main partner when you need to distribute your, uh, your software in Europe. That is, uh, that is my, my end goal for this. So now let's say I'm able to put you into a time machine, Sebastian, and I bring you back in time to that moment where you were concluding your career as an athlete and you're 27 and you're thinking now you're going through that soul searching. 
And, you know, it's the moment where you're thinking, hey, maybe I should launch something of my own. Maybe I should start my own company. And let's say you're able to go back in time and you're able to be right there with that younger Sebastian. And you have the opportunity of giving that younger Sebastian one piece of advice before launching a company. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Uh, one, that's, that's a really good question. What advice would I, would I give myself? Um, I, I want to put, put into print something that I'm saying today because I didn't really know that. I, I was just fortunate enough to, to be able to do that. But just surround yourself with the right persons, like I said before. And I didn't really understand that, but, but I have some sort of curiosity. And that's the second one. Always be curious and naive. Because I'm not comparing myself to Einstein. I, I, don't, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I don't have that ego. But, but he's saying, I wasn't the smartest one, but I was the most curious. And I think he has curiosity to always actually take that lunch. I, I meet with a lot of like young entrepreneurs still, just so I can be able to, okay, what is the new technique? How are they pitching? Do they have something to learn me? Uh, so be curious and surround yourself with, 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 uh, with people who are better than you. I will say that is that is uh, the thing that I will put into print to to young Sebastian, uh, because that is what uh, my biggest lesson are today. I love it. So Sebastian, for the people that are listening, that would love to reach out and say hi. What is the best way for them to do so? Uh, you can go into LinkedIn, uh, Sebastian Carlson with uh, with a K, uh, or you can just email me at uh, sebastian.carlson at liviagroup.com. Amazing. Well, easy enough. Well, Sebastian, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. <laughs> thank you, Alejandro. It's been an honor to be here. Thank you for that. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts, or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.